This is real boys hours. This is a big day. The the government is finally coming clean about many documents tonight. Yeah. Through our fearless leader, President George W. Trump. Breaking news, JFK is dead. Yeah, JFK is dead. Uh, Anders, you said that they're, they're not letting us know uh, who JFK was having sex with when he died? He, uh, I think it was Jack Ruby, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see Jack Ruby's like head in his lap in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Lee Harvey Oswald. That's why Jack Ruby killed him. Because yeah. <laughs> he was oh jealous. <laughs> He's a jealous lover. <laughs> Well, no, they're not. So they're not releasing stuff about Lee Harvey's. Uh, can I call him Lee Harvey? No. Have you met him before? Did he go by Lee or Lee Harvey? No one has explained this to me. That's a that's a real question. I Lee bet. Harvey is much more southern. Yeah. Hey, Lee Soviet Harvey. Man. Yeah. Hey, Lee. Lee. Harvey, that's get not. Out of the sounds like he could job. go by Harvey, but also uh, Harv. He goes by Patsy. That's what he goes by. <laughs> hey. Did he call himself a Patsy or did he? Yeah, yeah, he was like I'm yelling, a "I'm a Patsy." Yeah. Now we're political radio. <laughs> well, well, apparently he went to Mexico City uh, two months before he did the deed, and they're not saying they're not going to release documents about that. They're not going to tell us what went down south okay. of the border. Well, you went to New. Well, you went to Mexico. Mexico City. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What? All right. So they're not so. going to let us. Know what? About JFK because. Uh, the CIA did that shit, and uh, my question: Will they just admit there's aliens? Uh, I think that's more likely than JFK. I mean, you would think that they would want something that, like this to get out to distract from shit. Um, but this it seems like one of these things. Uh, I kind of have a, th- a theory that Trump has actually ordered a lot of things. Like, for instance, nuking North Korea, like he's told people to do that and everyone around him is just like, no, like they just all the right. chains that come. Oh, yeah. Paperwork. Oh, Mr. Trump. It. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. will take a while. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you want to do that, you have to like sit, read and, and sign like these this whole stack of. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of someone uh, just telling him they did it. And then coming up with, like, a simulated nuke North Korea, and he's like, goo, goo. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, it's just like, well, it's still on the map. It's <laughs> like when my mom didn't want me to want to buy me a PlayStation 2 yet, and I was like, where are they? And she'd just be like, oh, the store just doesn't have them. And then right. I just believe, and then I go to the store, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why are they hiding these from my mom? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing I read that ufologists, ufologists, how do you say it? It's yiffer, yiffing, ufologist. Ufologist. Uh, anyway, so UFO people, lone gunmen they guys, yeah. uh, they, uh, they think aliens monitor our nuclear capability because they're worried about what we might do to our solar system. Oh, if they, they were, yeah, yeah, they definitely probably do. So I am just so excited for Trump to do something and like the grays visit him and he like calls them the gays on Twitter uh, yeah. or something. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care what the gays say. He did a Twitter war with an, <laughs> uh, an alien entity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, um, do you think aliens have sexism? Do you think that they, do they think they have racism? I think they do. And that's how they're so evolved. <laughs> I'm, I'm really just down to talk about aliens these days, uh, but, uh, I, th- well, People have said that the only way for 
inter intergalactic travel is through through true communism because oh, you need everybody right. on board and they're you know well you'd have right, to not right. destroy each other yeah to do it right uh well uh Brent, you know who does have sexism guys uh Leftists. The left. The left. Not the left jest, but leftists. We can't. No one in this uh, trio has been discriminated against by one another for their... That's true. And we have all ends of the spectrum here, from uh, bearded (laughs) ginger white guy to bearded brunette white guy to uh, bearded... Uh, Indian uh, brunette. So, like, we is could he, really. My hair is black. Would call, and would I call that a beard, Alex? Not quite. Right. Yet. Right. I was about to. But don't don't deceive our You're listeners. Not in the fold. Yeah. I li- I complimented it on Tuesday. I was like, or Monday. I was like, very good. And now you turn against it. Well, because well, you're prematurely it calling it a beard. Yeah, I apologize. Anders I, and I have been working on this for years. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I apologize. I, I saw you. I think yesterday, and, and I didn't compliment you. I just said, "What is that?" Yeah, you <laughs> <said what laughs> is like, well, how when did that? Happen? What's on your face? Uh, well, um, for we're not gonna talk about it too much before we get in the interview. But uh, for those out of the loop, uh, Vox published an article titled uh listen to what socialist women are saying about misogyny on the left uh authored by anna north and jeff stein who i'm not familiar with the former but uh i like jeff stein stuff he had a lot of good stuff about health care uh, husband of year. joel stein yeah yeah <laughs> of course uh and is also a chapo premium subscriber which is he mentions really? in the article yeah which um so basically it uh addresses a it's lot like of a come town hit article right they tried to take down the great force of Comtown. Well, yeah, Comtown is like the adjacent podcast they mention. And so they talked to a few uh, members of DSA who voiced their criticisms about, um, you know, uh, maybe some misogynistic behavior within their organizations. Which and definitely is happening. Yeah, it definitely is happening, as we're talking about. And it's kind of framed around the controversy that we already talked about with Androsky and Will and Matt. But um, one quote i can pull from it is from margaret mclaughlin uh who uh is in the democratic socialist of america and it doesn't specify where but this america, quote from her, I, would assume. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't think the men of the left are any more or less misogynistic than any other group of men but leftist men just think with the equality of classes and races will come the equality of genders, but that's not necessarily true. If men aren't willing to do the work, it's not going to happen, uh, which I, I agree with. The one thing I don't agree with is I don't like I don't think the left is more misogynistic than like maybe the DNC or the Democrats and uh, the right. But it's certainly not less misogynistic than the Democrats. I don't think we have an argument there. Or do you guys disagree? Less, I don't, it's also hard to measure. I don't hang out with Democrats because yeah. I'm too busy throwing rocks into the pond <laughs> with my commie boys. That sounds like a Democratic thing. <laughs> this is a very <laughs> boring, leisurely activity. I can't help my bourgeois upraising. Um, but I think wh- what we can all be mad about uh, uh, this is uh, that they equate Come Town with a leftist podcast and that they aren't smearing our podcast. Yeah, what the fuck? I, yeah, we're mad. We didn't get a mention. It's not hard to find terrible things we've said just because I could not figure out how to edit it out or uh, <laughs> the sound quality was so bad it was impossible to do. It's so. 
it's just very frustrating because they say Chapo has actively promoted the DSA, which is obviously true, and Cumtown is less political. How about not very political at all? Is a uh, cum based podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nick where they has say political things to make people mad. <laughs> Nick has no discernible ideological beliefs, which is the fucked up part of him running the DSA. <laughs> yeah, I always but, thought yeah. that was a bad move. I think their argument is this is the company they keep, which uh, but they I were think... literally roommates. Right. So, like, are you going to hold anyone's roommate against each other? No, yes. I don't think you should. And I uh, but that's that's why I think like if Waffles. the left wants to sort of become more of a broad-based <laughs> phenomenon, then you have to uh, engage with people who are lewd and uh right the world is lewd yeah do i don't do we need to engage with people who are lewd i don't think we need i'm not against it but do we need to i just yeah yeah that there's i mean out there i mean like there's a point at which somebody is uh like a fascist or a misogynist (laughs) or a rapist and yeah but like somebody who like the the line is lewd but not a fascist right 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 stereotypical union guy like, who is that? Fucking. You're going to want him on your team. because. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. And but you can also, get him to stop. And Well, yeah, and the key thing is to not. He has name for, like, cookies he eats or something. Right. Like, well, no, you have to change that. But yeah, we, we can, want, we can reason with him. Yeah, we, ha- yeah. we can uh, in, uh, approach it in a, uh, a call-in I mean, way. A, a lot of it is just overrepresentation on the Internet and a lot of, like, uh, the Chapo subreddit kind of uh, – adopting like slang and like jokes that come town people do and kind of wanting to be in the same vein and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of it's, it's honestly a lot of lefty white dudes who desperately want to feel cool and be cool and uh huh. that i do I find no grating. understanding of what that is I've it's almost as if three cool. of them I just ended up <laughs> this way so <laughs> that's weird you'd even say that well, not you guys, but uh, some of the Chapel Road subreddit guys. Oh, right, for sure. Yeah, those those losers. For the record, you I, guys actually do comedy. Yeah, and we're Debatably. bad at posting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one thing about really the joke, we'll do the interview. Haha, gender is a joke. I think gender is a joke, and that's the the whole thing we need to take down here's, instead of, uh, you know. Here's the joke: the, your own ignorance, America. Look at yourself in the mirror, you ugly clam. Yeah. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> That's good. I feel like we could do better, but I'm not sure how to get us there. All right, stick around for our great interview with Danny Catch. He's back on the on the pod, and it's a great uh, show. So we'll see you there. We're doing it. We're doing casual radio. Are we ready? Yeah, it's happening. Thank you for tuning in to Left Jest. Anders Lee here with my co-hosts, Raghav Mehta. Hey. And Alex Batak. And I'm Dan Rather. And we are uh, joined this week. Lucky to be joined by Danny Catch, who is uh, an organizer of the uh, International Socialist Organization, also a writer for The Socialist Worker, and author of the new book, Why Bad Governments Happen to Good People. Thank you for joining us, Danny. 
Thanks. I'm happy to be back here. We'll repeat. I'm the Alec Baldwin of this podcast. Yeah, he's you know setting. He's getting egot from this. The word it's uh, egot lf lj. You get uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, left jest more than one time. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Also, quick editing note, uh, you two are on the same thing, so he's really quiet, you're really loud, try to talk farther away. We're just going to Wait, I should this. talk farther away? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, can you do that? You got it. <laughs> and you I should it. be louder. And you should be louder. <laughs> okay. Cool. This is very indie podcasting. God bless us. <laughs> um, so we had Danny on, what, six months ago? Eight months ago? Something like in sure. February, March, yeah. Right. The world has changed. Um, but this, and we're also joined by a friend of Danny, Eric. Uh, hello. Thanks hey. for for joining us. And uh, I wanted to start by reading a quote and having Eric guess. This is from the new book. Uh, having him guess who this quote is from, and um, I have a certain sort of inflection in my voice when I'm reading quotes from uh, books that, but <laughs> don't read into the sort of accent, inflection, or whatever that I'm going to bring to the text, just to focus. On the words, but this is a quote from a mysterious, from a mystery uh, speaker. The borders are more leaking today than they were before 9-11. The fact is we haven't done what we need to do to toughen up the borders, and I will. The fact that we now have people from the Middle East allegedly coming from the southern border, and we're not doing what we ought to do in terms of the technology. We have iris identification technology. We have thumbprint, fingerprint technology. We can know who the people are, that they're really the people they say they are when they cross the border. We could speed it up. They're huge delays. Judging from uh, just the wording of that, who do you think that was? That's obviously President Orange. Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States. But Danny Katch, uh, who is the actual author of those words or the speaker of those words? Well, I'm not surprised my friend Eric didn't know. He doesn't follow politics that closely. Yeah. But that, you didn't read his book. <laughs> right. But that was John Kerry speaking in the 2004 uh, presidential debate with George W. Bush. You knew it wasn't Trump because he would never say iris identification. Yeah. <laughs> that one was kind of a good one. Machine. The, best ones. <laughs> a robot the machine. eyeball the scanners. But things have kind of changed since 2004 and a, a bit, at least uh, it's a bit harder. Do you think it's harder to imagine a, a Democratic politician using that rhetoric today or... Uh, Huh. It's a good question. I mean, the whole I, I start the book with that anecdote in order to show that some of the kind of um, more absurd anti-immigrant ideas, you know, linking yeah. up people just trying to cross the, the board, the southern border every day, going to work, you know, can, getting turning that into a, a, a war on terror scam, a scare. That that's something that actually has at least as many roots among people who that you wouldn't suspect, like John Kerry. And you know, I'm using that I'm right. using that to make a point about how both parties sort of shift our whole perspective to the right. I guess since then, but yeah, that's what's strange, right? Is that it almost still today sounds a little hard, partly because you read it with that great Trump accent, <laughs> but um, it's hard to picture that coming from um, Hillary Clinton when she's running. And mm -hmm. yet, who knows what kind of quotes we're, we're going to be able to go back from her, you know, a few years from now and, 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 and be able to pick out. Um, okay, so... Maybe we get to this in a few minutes, but you guys want to look up a Hillary Clinton quote and have Andrew <laughs> read it as Trump? <laughs> Any quote? Yeah, pick a good one. Okay, cool. I'll go to Goodreads. All right. A village. The research team people. has got it. <laughs> it takes people in a village. 
Well, the, the concept's still there because the democratic strategy hasn't changed from just trying to outflank the right, right? Which is kind of yeah. the first chapter of the book. Well, right. I mean, I guess it, with Hillary's campaign, it might have been less what she said than who she would say it with, right? Mm-hmm. So this was the, the – since we were here together – she courted Henry Kissinger. She lined up all the, di- you know, as many different of the architects of the Iraq war as she could to endorse her campaign to try to show that, you know, she'll, she'd be a more responsible guardian of the empire than Trump. And, and I think I was just seeing on the news today that, you know, be, um, as part of this sort of love affair that the Democrats are having with the old Bush administration in response to Trump. George W. Bush now has in one poll like a 51% approval rating among Democrats. Oh, the artist? <laughs> right. I just love his paintings. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, I, they, the there is a real soul there. dissident from Twitter? Right. So, I mean, that that is, if I could have included that in the book, I, I would have. Because it's, if you're not old enough to have lived through the early years of the Bush administration, mm-hmm. when he was the devil. I yeah. mean, like, he was Trump 1.0. You know, I, I make a point in the book so to see not that far not that long later this sort of short-term memory process um where suddenly just anybody who's against trump um uh, must be an ally it's, it's, it's incredible well as karl marx once said history repeats itself first as farce and then as more in your face farce <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's not in the book but it's really i think good. that was hillary clinton actually that's hillary right. clinton. <laughs> um, uh, i was trying to figure this out yesterday i don't know why the Bushes are like on a PR kick right now because it feels like the internet really wants us to like them right now specifically. Um, my guess was that they're uh, turning poly and are looking to hit the town, but it could be any reason. Well, they look so, I mean, they look good in comparison, I guess. I mean, if you're looking at it purely through the theater of it, they look great in comparison, but I think, uh, a p- something people are neglecting to point out. A couple of people have made this point, even Chris Hayes, who was, um, would not expect to, but uh, Bush, so far, Trump has not been as destructive to the world as Bush was. Oh, I mean... Yeah. Uh, Trump hates that. <laughs> it's it, it, Trump's going to have to do a lot to be as destructive to the world as George W. Bush has. I mean, it, it's... Well, he could just start a war. That'd be a great... Like a, la- a land war. <laughs> right. No, but he would then have to make sure that that land war would metastasize for the next 15 years, create ISIS, create a power. worldwide <laughs> refugee crisis. I mean, he'd have... He'll, he, I do not put it past him. Well, he has a lot of work he can be doing in North Korea to, to create incredible damage. But I'm just saying, George W. Bush set the bar high yeah. for, for global destruction. He had an efficiency to the game, like a grandmaster at chess. Oh, yeah. No, one it, move is actually 30 moves ahead. If we had, like, advanced basketball stats for his, his destruction, I'm sure, like, per day in the White House, he, he'd have a great, great ranking, That's I'm sure. That's a great blog idea. Basketball <laughs> statistics for war crimes. <laughs> right. Why doesn't anyone like my blog? <laughs> but it's I really al- sad. I, I do think that Bush, like, part of what's bringing him out, too, is this sense of... Um, that that old upper class sense of outrage that uh, Donald Trump is disrupting the decorum, you know, the harumph harumph. There's a way that totally we're supposed mean. to do these things, and that's like this great unit. And if you listen to all these Democrats mourning Jeff Flake saying he's gonna not run again, and what a, well, you know, he represented, and it's and you know, it almost makes me want to be a Trump supporter in in those <laughs> moments. Just you know, like just to, like they they oh, come let's. to. Yeah, they <laughs> sound like the bad guys in every Adam Sandler, the stiff upper crust bad guys in Caddyshack, or you know what I mean? Like they're they're, 
um, you know, and, and they just reinforced Trump's message that I'm just like the rebel who's, you know, like pulling the tablecloth out from under the fancy China. Yeah. Who's the gopher? <laughs> Makes <laughs> you wonder. Anders? The gopher? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Kerry kind of looks like a gopher, now that I think of it, John Kerry, <laughs> in many ways. Right. Uh, He's not like in the picture, really, but sometimes it'll be like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now, yeah, but now you are seeing a lot of kind of unsavory people we would in other times consider unsavory people being brought into the fold of the hashtag resistance. Uh, but how did that kind of happen, too, in the height of the the Bush years when there's all this outrage directed to this one guy? Um, how was that kind of allowing space for a John Kerry or someone like that to step in to just be like, hey, I'm like one inch better than this guy? Well, right. So one of again, I mean, I, I start the book. Generally, it's not advisable to, I think, to try to write a book and start it with an anecdote from 2004 about a presidential candidate people don't remember. So it may not have been the best the best marketing strategy. But you should check me, out my book of Dick Gephardt quotes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it spoke. I mean, it just it, to me, it's an example that spoke volumes because it wasn't just it wasn't just saying, "Oh, ha, gotcha." It was John Kerry who said this. Yeah. It was about my experience being with a bunch of college students at the time, watching this debate, right, right. and how people were, who were anti-war, almost some of them found themselves being enthusiastic when Kerry was saying that, just in the hope that maybe this will score points against George Bush, and you know, and and and, and so th- it was such a snapshot of people how we when the choices we get are so limited between like a shit sandwich and a piss lemonade or whatever that the piss lemonade is a little bit more pa- sorry it's a little bit more it's palatable. sterile it is sterile you're in <laughs> so the point well, being that you. you will the contortions you'll go through to justify you know that the 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 lesser of evils and and as it right now when there's so much talk about fake news which underlying that is really this idea that everybody in America is a complete moron who if they just see some piece of piece of information flash by on their social media, they'll believe it. So there is that going on in terms of fake news, but mm-hmm. the far bigger uh, crisis of democracy we have is people is that we actually are very mentally active and are, and and it's almost impressive the gymnastics that our brains will perform in order to justify um, taking positions that are the opposite of what we really think because you know we we manage to convince ourselves this is the long the only convoluted scheme that's going to stop you know the ultimate evil george bush donald trump mitt romney you know whoever the du jour there's a very thin range of acceptable politics and the only time that range changes is when we have more insane people in charge of the range (laughs) right well that sort of brings us to the kind of the thesis of the book which is that um, oh i have a thesis well Um, cool forgive me if i'm reading into it but but could we check in with Raghav quickly? I want to see yes. what research he's done. He's working very hard. Is this real? So you'd verified it's real? Yeah, that one's real. Okay. There was another one, and she was quoting someone else, and it sounded okay, insane. So but who, yeah. Who is this? This is Hillary Clinton uh, from Hard Choices, her book, Hard Choices. Do you want to read that one, Anders? Uh, wait, the, the Girl Scouts one? Or the... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and who am I doing this? Can I do this as. What's uh, your motivation? Yeah, what's my motivation here? Uh, you're mad as hell. Okay, I'm yeah, trying to. Yeah, dude. <laughs> There's a Girl Scout song I learned in elementary school. 
make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other orange. How did that? I thought you were going to do it as Trump. Let's do it as Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you you sound the opposite of it. Impression I did earlier again is not Trump. It's just a an inflection I have when I'm reading when I'm reading from a computer you, screen. You it changes. Uh, direct the actor. You can merely show him a new world to inhabit, <laughs> and that's the mistake we made. So that's good. All right, back to the thesis of the book. That and back to the world we inhabit now. We'll segue there. Uh, Welcome. My cat's on my lap now. <laughs> um, the U.S., uh, I think, you know, we would agree in this room, not a democracy. What, why is it so hard for people to wrap their noggins around that concept? Um, it's a great question. Yeah. And, and, and there's a, I think it's one of those cases where people really kind of walk around with contradictory ideas in their head, whereas, you know, there was that study a couple of years ago, a cult professor showed if you, if you study all this legislation that, that you know, corresponds so closely to the interests of the 1% mm-hmm. that really, even technically speaking, we're more of an oligarchy ruled by the rich. That's not just a word to throw around. That's literally what it is. I think there's tons of people in this country who, even if they didn't hear about that study, they'd be like, yep, that sounds right. You know, like that's pretty common sense knowledge for a whole swath of people. And yet... At the same time, it doesn't mean that most people draw the conclusions if we actually don't live in a democracy, that that has profound implications, which is not to say that we're living in a complete homicidal dictatorship like yeah. Syria. But of course, it's not, it's not um, discounting the significance of, of the, the civil liberties we still do have and things like that. But so here's something I find interesting. People, there's a wave of people right now as part of the resistance to Trump. And I like the word resistance, even if there's many people who are more liberal than I am who have a different definition of it. I think it's great for people to consider themselves part of the resistance yeah. to the ruling regime. But for so many people, their very healthy impulse to become a you know a part of the solution is throwing themselves into the political process, right? Mm-hmm. It's running for local office. It's doing all these things. And that's everybody from centrist Democrats to people on the far left. And and I'm not against, I think that's one tool we have, but it's interesting to me that people simultaneously think we, we live in a rigged, not real democracy, but the still the way the momentum is going, it's steering more and more people into entering that rigged democracy without really having necessarily a plan to take it on. You know, whereas in reality, like when you have democracies that are fundamentally not um, more tools for limiting our choices than um, than giving us choices, mm-hmm. then we, even if we have part of our strategy involves maybe running for office, a bigger part of it better be like actually building our power through protests and strikes and the kind of things that have always made changes, even in real democracies, much less ones that are kind of, that are just democracies in, in, in name only. So. I may not be answering the question about why, but I, I think maybe because it's really the implications of the fact that we don't live in a real democracy are hard to face when right. it comes into like, what do we do about it? Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the discourse now seems to be um, looking at like, oh, because of the corrosive influence of money, we no longer live in a democracy, uh, whereas we haven't gotten to the core point that well, we're actually never have like it was designed to not be. A democracy. This system is old and bad. Yeah. 
The, the rest of our society is inundated with the constant need for updates every six days, but for whatever reason, everyone is determined to stick with this 200-plus-year-old layout for the way everything works. Yeah, for, the sh for shit that doesn't even work, like the death penalty or anything. But, like, if a phone didn't work for five minutes, you would go crazy. What if a French fur trapper did it? <laughs> the basis of every decision. It's the most amazing when it comes to the Electoral College, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not yeah. some random technicality. This thing has decided two out of the last five presidential elections, and it gave us the George W. Bush and Donald Trump, two people who like did, even from the perspective of American business and empire, these people really did a lot to wreck it. You know what I mean? So this this is like by almost all accounts uh, a wild defect, and yet it, you know, right? You, you can't it's get anything off the your face part of it. Right. Right. It's because the rest of it, like, is accompanied with flowery language, like, for liberty and equality of all men. And you're like, well, it's a good start. And then the electoral colleges. So Sam Adams could spit in another landowner's mouth. And that's just <laughs> in there. And they're like, oh, this is part of it. Right. You got to keep it. Uh, but you, you mentioned strikes and stuff. And there's an example you. Uh, point to in the book of Wisconsin, mm -hmm. uh, 2011. And I, this is actually around the same time I remember being in a, a politics class in community college in Minnesota, and the professor was like, I remember this moment very distinctly. She was like, uh, U.S. is a democracy. We can all agree on that, right? <laughs> and I just had so many, like, uh, counter arguments running through my head that they all just like get, like crammed in a doorway and then like I've also Rack had WMDs we can yeah. all agree on that right yeah <laughs> she just goes down a list of falsehoods uh -huh. freedom fraud <laughs> JFK shot himself right <laughs> well after tonight we'll, we'll find well out. it's also funny because the electoral college from my understanding was to protect slave states like slavery and now it's like essentially protecting white supremacists so it's like we haven't come a long way so it is still working I guess. yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's a functioning system right uh but 2011 we got scott walker who uh managed to pass this um pretty terrible legislation that was gonna strip uh collective bargaining rights from public employees um but can you talk a little bit about how the strategy there went from uh, like what what you were saying a moment ago about uh, people power and the power of strikes, and that went back into a a different uh, form that was not as successful. Right. So again, I mean that that's to me. I thought that that case again being a little bit old, but it really illustrated in sort of a compressed amount of time, like what the possible democracy of of people power and mass action looks like compared to when even those same people go back into like the official political channels. The protests in Wisconsin, when people took over that Capitol building for weeks, this was before the Occupy Wall Street movement. This was before Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. It also, it kind of helped to spark those movements. It was also happening at the same time as the Arab Spring, and it saw itself as being part of that, and people in Egypt, in Tahrir Square, you know, saw what was happening in Wisconsin. It was like a pretty magical moment that I'm now sometimes think happen in a different lifetime or on a different planet, you know, <laughs> given the way things are going. But it really un opened this idea of like, oh, if you don't like this law they're trying to pass, don't just say, well, we're going to vote for someone else four years from now. It's like, take over the building. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't let them pass it. And obviously that strategy by itself can't, what can't win all the time, but it opens up other possibilities of we'll go on strike, we'll have protests, you know, the kind of things that, that won civil rights, the kind of things that won unions, basically business as usual can't go on when massive people are in the streets. And there were people arguing that, 
Instead, what eventually ends up winning out is, okay, well, we'll start a recall campaign next year against the governor. And eventually, and that it becomes sort of this, it's an unusual campaign because it's a recall, but other than that, it's a typical race between Walker and his Democratic opponent, Tom Barrett. But what was so crazy about it was that Barrett, the Democrat, didn't even, his platform didn't include the main things that the protest, the occupation was about to begin with, restoring full union rights, restoring the budget cuts that Scott Walker had done. And the point I, why I write about it, not just because, oh, doesn't that suck, but how once Scott Walker then wins that recall election, because there's not that much enthusiasm for his Democratic opponent, which may sound like a familiar theme from what yeah. we're hearing. I've but, never heard of this. Right. <laughs> but whereas when Scott Walker initially tries to ram this stuff through and people, there's like an uprising and people feel like this is, um, you were there probably, right? So, but I'm just going to talk instead of, instead of you, Eric, because I'm, I, anyway. when, when, um, People felt like we need to rebel, we need to resist in like the real sense of the word to block it. Once it enters back into the into the quote unquote democratic process, even though neither option had what the protesters wanted, which is familiar to the democracy of many dictators. There's many dictatorships where there's officially allowed opposition parties, like in Egypt before you know that that yeah. just aren't allowed to actually raise any demands that matter. That's essentially what you end up having in Wisconsin, but when Walker wins that, even though people aren't happy about it and they're talking about all oh, the Koch brothers gave him all this money, they accept the results as legitimate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we had a choice. And I thought that encapsulated so much of how even again, we can know on one side of our brains that this isn't really a democracy, but on the other side, well, we do get to vote, don't we? And the, the two candidates aren't exactly alike, but it's not as different as we think from dictatorships where there's officially allowed opposition parties, but just the scope of their disagreement is, is tightly, um, you know, uh, restrained. Yeah, well, it's like a less interesting version of the 1984 future with the despotic party and then the made-up uh, <laughs> counter guy. It's just the despotic party and then uh, a very uninteresting person running <laughs> against them. Yeah. Not even worth covering, really. Uh, nothing to talk about. Well, it is interesting though, that you have those three examples, Scott Walker, Trump, and Bush, too, where it's um, a lot of hatred, dedicated, right, righteous hatred, dedicated towards this one person to the point where they kind of lose sight of why you want to get them out of office. Um, but on the other hand, on the other side of that, you have around the same time Obama was president, and, uh, of course, it's, it seems... Kind of silly looking back now about how um, removed all his supporters were from actual policies, actually th things they wanted to see him do. Um, do you think that at that time, 2008, you have the financial crisis, the Iraq war kind of unraveling? Could Did Obama in, in some ways kind of eclipse what could have been a more revolutionary moment? Huh, that's a good question. I, I think, um, I definitely think Obama was... You know, the only reason I wouldn't say he eclipsed what could have been a revolutionary moment was um, one, he didn't do any, he didn't do anything he didn't say he was going to mm -hmm. do, right? And so, therefore, it can't really be a revolutionary moment if people, if you don't have at least a sizable section of the population that is radical enough that they recognize that this guy who's saying he's going to continue the Afghanistan, war, you know what I mean? Like, right. So, but there, there certainly were lots of radical possibilities going on, and and and, and huge hopes in Obama that. Again, I think looking back on it, it's, it's for folks who didn't experience, you know, that campaign in 2008, I was not, you know, I was not a Democrat by that point. I was a socialist, but I was still quite inspired by many of his speeches. I mean, he was a breath of fresh air 
seems and, pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so I do think in a lot of ways the fact that he um, so thoroughly failed to deliver um, any major changes except the national health insurance program that is just sort of like scientifically tries to figure out how much blood you can squeeze out of people to give to <laughs> insurance companies and, and call that health care. I mean, that's his biggest. You're Romney's plan. Right, right. Yeah. So I think that paved the way for Trump in a lot of ways. And in some way, because this the frustrations with our political system with oligarchy have been building so much. And Obama was like, I mean, he on people considered him to be this savior. And when saviors fail to deliver, it paves the way for massive cynicism um, that Trump has taken over. It may not sound fair to, to blame Obama for Trump, given that Trump, has, he made his career being a racist asshole to Obama with birthright. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like Obama was a victim of Trump as well. But I think the, um, yeah, the massive hopes that people put in Obama, but but it, it always stayed at that level of just passively hoping that Obama will do something. And the, the, the lesson that people got to take from that is that I don't care if it's Bernie Sanders. I don't care if it's Jesus Christ coming back. You know, whoever's going to run for office. If that is an option, that would be really great. It would be fascinating, (laughs) but even then, better organized because Goldman Sachs is going to have way more power than Jesus Christ. (laughs) Look at his shoes. You're going to vote for this guy? Um, I have opinions for this uh, segment of barnyard hearsay. Uh, I think think it would take an Obama figure not working out for revolutionary energy to build. And the reason I think that is, A, the the housing crisis and everything falls apart right after the election. Um, so it, it was like right before. It was like October. Right. It was in October. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, it was a crazy month. <laughs> it, it was like, it was too late in the game. Like right, It was right, like right. a year earlier and it just seemed like the country was collapsing under Bush. Maybe you'd get people with pitchforks and whatnot and it would be a different situation uh-huh. taking over buildings. But uh, I think Obama serves a very specific purpose of eight years of uh, a liberal promise to fix all of the problems we had with Bush through logic and like bourgeois reasoning through the smartest, cutest boy you ever did see. And that just like didn't deliver at all. And that's what's led to this moment. If wasn't there, we'd just be like, what if we had a really smart guy? Especially related to the current climate and all this, uh, some of it is performative, but outrage over Russia. It's like, well, I feel like collusion with someone like Goldman Sachs or any number of you know big corporate donors that Trump accepted, which included, I think, the WWE at one point too. Like, is our most powerful asset that is having a more uh, a, a more dramatic effect on our our well, collective well being than anything we've done with Russia, so far at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I I also think what's a little strange is is you know when Hillary wrote that book recently and, you know, it's all about blaming Putin, blaming Bernie and blaming Comey, right. For her loss. Mm-hmm. And so I think she was ra- you know, rightfully deservedly mocked, but the stuff about Comey actually deserves more attention in the sense that no, the main reason why Hillary Clinton lost was because she was a terrible candidate and the Democrats were terrible. But you talk about comparatively, you know, right before the election, the director of the FBI sort of um, comes out with this announcement that they're investigating Hillary Clinton in a way that, Seems like it definitely shifted the election a couple points and keys. Mm-hmm. Like it had a real impact. Definitely. And what came out since then is that Comey did that because he was feeling tremendous pressure from FBI agents who hated Hillary Clinton and like Trump who were going to leak details. Which is so you're talking about people in the mo- one of the most powerful intelligence agencies in the U.S. 
using their power to help swing the election for Bush. I say this not in a conspiratorial way. I say it in the sense that, again, it shows as, as big a crisis we have with Trump, we have with a so-called opposition party, because Democrats, they're, going, they're talking about Putin, 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 because they want to position themselves as the, the true patriotic party, the yeah. real guardians of the national mm -hmm. interest. Meanwhile, the FBI, they don't want to pick a fight with the FBI, even though the FBI is also now saying that at a time of growing white supremacy, they're looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the yeah. black identity extremists. You know, we desperately need to be having investigations into the rings of white supremacists in the FBI, in ICE, in the Border Patrol, mm -hmm. in police departments around the country. And the Democrats, you know, they don't even talk about that cops who kill people should go to jail anymore. You know what I mean? So it's just in terms of the way that, that you know, even when it comes to, like, legitimate things, if we want to still relitigate the 2016 election, let's talk about the FBI and Comey. Let's actually go into, like, what are the politics of these people? But they want no part of that. Because they're all they're all about pro Pentagon, pro FBI. Yeah, um, even you know. there was a military survey recently. It was a quarter of uh, military officers have uh, observed or witnessed uh, white supremacy activity within their ranks or outside their ranks. Even either way, it's bad. Yeah. What does white supremacy activity entail? Well, just like it's some like, guys hanging around, just yeah, doing salutes. It's like, uh, <laughs> Well, like that, I don't know, like Alex. The, you tell us. The apple bob with the hood on is always a challenge. I, I, like I don't that's know. A good white apple bob. <laughs> that's very white. Um, they pour milk on each other. That's an actual thing. Milk is a big part of it because it makes yeah. you physically white and also just like spiritually I mean, white. I imagine it could be something as minor as like seeing a guy with a swastika tattoo because there's no sort of like bylaw for you know discharging those guys. You can probably have that and be in the military, right? Uh, Seventy-five percent of soldiers have seen a dance that is unimpressive. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbing white activity. In the uh, well, if we could turn to uh, strategy, there's something we've been um, talking about throughout the discussion today. But uh, when we're, we're talking about like elections and how um, we can't put all our eggs in that basket, um, is it still? Do you? agree that it is important to also to build these things simultaneously like have an electoral uh articulation of a broader movement that's that is um more active than it has been in other realms of labor and and direct action and other things do those things have to be in in conflict so no i don't think they have to be in conflict and i i, I think an electoral strategy is fine but when we talk about it being in concert with um protests, activism, strikes. I think sometimes people tend to think of it as just like, oh, let's do this and let's also do that. And those are two things. But it's it's actually more to me that there's a direct relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. Whatever we're trying to build electorally has to be connected to movements that have power to back that up. And right. it's, it's without the power, like, you know, going back to that one, the only good things in that constitution of ours, things in the Bill of Rights, had no meaning at all until protests backed them up. First Amendment, freedom of speech, didn't mean anything until the Wobblies at the turn of the last century had free speech campaigns, right? And so just to, so to take an example of like one of the most promising things right now, right? The, the fight for a single-payer health care and the mm -hmm. fact that that's, you know, Bernie Sanders put that on the agenda. It's now something that all these Democratic uh, politicians who, in my opinion, have no intention at all <laughs> of going for single-payer but feel obligated to say they're for it. What it means is, are we are we seeing the main strategy around that as being like, 
let's get more people to sign on to the Medicare for All bill, or even let's vote for candidates in Democratic primaries, or even third party primaries who say, you know, who are for a single payer. If we think that's the sum total of, and then we just get enough votes and we're going to win, when when healthcare is one sixth of the economy and there are huge economic interests uh, who very much have no intention of having of having a single payer system, I think we're mistaken. I think we're putting too much faith in the fact that we live in a democracy where, oh, if you guys get enough votes, who cares if billion dollar corporations are going to lose that? Instead, I think we need to see that. Whatever we're doing legislative-wise, you know, in, in political circles around single-payer has to be built on a foundation of mm-hmm. in city after city, can there be single-payer committees that are taking and, and creating scenes outside of emergency rooms or, or clinics? This person is not getting dental care, health care, you know what I mean? Like, and creating campaigns around that, working with nurses unions who are, who are some of the most militant unions um, in the country who are very much for single payer, but actually combining some of their economic power with a lot like that, all the changes we've made, it's yeah, we can combine it with, we should combine it with, in my opinion, we're going to need a new party. Maybe single payer is going to be one of the key, you know, key parts of their plank. But even if it's happening inside the democratic party, either way, we're only getting anywhere close to that in reality if it's on the basis of a movement that in city after city and in hospitals is showing that we have the power to actually win care for people that don't have insurance or underinsured, that can't afford to pay um, their premiums. You know, like, like that's the only way we've ever won um, anything. So, yeah, that would be my, my take on do that. You, do you feel like electoral campaigns at least are useful for raising political awareness, though? Because if you talk to just anybody off the street and ask them if they think a strike is politics, they're probably going to be like, oh, no, it's when the lazy people show up and you got to either you're with them or against them. Like, there's such a narrow band of uh, ideas that people think are politics. Um, just like I, I don't see actual proactive building happening until you open up these discussions that people seem to only want to have every two or four years. Yeah, no, I think it's both, right? And clearly we saw Bernie Sanders' campaign did more to um, open up political discussions, get, get a whole thousands of people involved in other kinds of organizing politics than I've seen in a long time. You know, I think on some local levels in Seattle, Shama Sawansky, you know, uh, candidacy, like there's there's examples of political campaigns that have helped spur activism and organizing. So it's I don't want to counterpose the two, but I put Mm -hmm. it kind of sharply in the book because I think we're living in a moment when it's so partly because it's easier to figure like if you're trying to get together and start, what are we going to do? It's because the political system encourages us to be like, well, if you don't like it, you know, run for office. Like, so it makes it easier for it's more clear how to do that than how to form a union in the face of, you know, mass hostility or how to win even the most basic justice when the cops kill another person. It's so fucking hard to win any kind of accountability. Right. So like all those those obstacles and brick walls steer people into the electoral arena too. You know what I mean? Even if they don't have that many illusions about right. about um, about the nature of our system, but we can't we can't let ourselves just get steered in that way as sort of the path of least resistance because there's a reason why that's the path of least resistance. I, I, to me, Eugene Debs, who I write about, Bernie Sanders, hero, or at least you know, one-time hero, Socialist Party. It's his uh, dad, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> his, his campaigns are worth people today Going back and looking at, he never came close to winning. That wasn't his attempt, but he built 
he built unions. He built his. He looked at his campaigns as a chance. It's like yes, during a presidential election, that's when more people are paying attention. That is what people consider politics. So I'm gonna, as a candidate, go around and give politician speeches. The content of which is basically how the only we need socialism, and the only way we're gonna get it is when we as workers organize ourselves and fight for it. And half his speeches would be about how like I voting for me. Isn't gonna do it. Very unconventional mm -hmm. political speech, and I'm not. But but his speeches are brilliant, and he he used them as he did try to get more votes. But he was also saying like every vote we get on this kind of like a serious socialist messaging campaign is a vote we, that our movement can really count on. It's like oh, that's how many people we've actually won to being for you know what I mean, building a radical alternative. So it's a really different way. Of looking at an election, I'm not saying it's the only way to run, but it's like all it, it's a it's a way of seeing that like elections can really or campaigns can really matter, but not just for the precisely because there are moments when wider layers of people are paying attention and that that people can actually be one to 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 all sorts of struggle. Wait. He was, a, was he the one who ran from jail? Yeah. Or, yeah. All right. Yeah. So that makes him the closest politician to Tupac creating an album from jail. <laughs> and I feel right. like that's an instruction book we can work with. Although it would have been even better if even after he died, he somehow still kept running for president and getting vote. Like that would have been the Tupac's <laughs> thing. Been even better if we had a hologram of Eugene Debs. <laughs> we could break out at Coachella and he'd like make us mad about the silver standard or something. His platform keeps getting. Up there, he's like, he's got this new antitrust platform. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you don't mention they're bringing him on. It is a music concert. I was like, this is Eugene Dance. <laughs> this is not what I paid for. Uh, uh, well, speaking of uh, that era of time, though, he was would have been around during a uh, hundred years ago um, during the Russian Revolution, and we're on the hundred uh, year anniversary right now. I was wondering if we get your thoughts on what are some like takeaways we can have from that um, long time ago, obviously, that we can <laughs> apply to today. Summarize the Russian Revolution in 10 minutes or less. <laughs> so the key, I think what we learned from that is that like when we have the revolution, we have to seize the telegraph office first. <laughs> so yes. people should be taking uh -huh. notes about Facebook? this. Yeah. Let's go to Facebook. No, telegraph. telegraph. We, we, have, we, we listen to the hologram <laughs> of Eugene Debs. And he's gonna tell um, I think it is... Um, Right. So the, the, the many people, I think for a lot of people who know very little about it or what they know about it is, oh, that thing that created, that eventually created totalitarian mm -hmm. regimes or whatever. I think for those of us who know more about what happened in the revolution, it's, it's really important to, to tell the story of what that word Soviet means from the Soviet Union. The Soviet was the Russian word for workers council and that this was a revolution that was actually based on people who, who created their own new democratic bodies in their factories and then eventually soldiers in their barracks because this was World War One, and then housewives in neighborhoods and students all started creating these bodies that just sort of, and then started coordinating and became a new government in and of itself, like almost right. parallel to the existing one. And what the Russian Revolution was about was trying to say this can be, let's, 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 get rid of the old form of government and make this the new form that's incredibly powerful um it didn't last it got invaded by a lot of countries but that the reason why i was able to launch this worldwide communist movement um for better and eventually for worse was because tens of millions of people were really it wasn't fake news they were inspired by this this oh my god there's a different way of running things and we're living through a time right now where there's such a 
we're all feeling the crisis of the world is so has so many we're heading in so many bad directions ecologically economically um racism you know xenophobia all these things islamophobia and while we as a left have plenty of answers for some of these things many of them are just in the negative sense like don't be islamophobic don't be racist right like but in terms of like a different way for society to run other than capitalism you know what i mean like this driving force we're living through a pretty widespread sense of like uh emptiness about you know what are we for besides being against what they're about and the russian revolution was this profoundly positive moment that put forward like here is the next way that society can be run and we can't look back at it now just in terms of right the telegraph office like what it means for workers to organize soviets today what you know like when when our workplaces look so much different what role technology and social media like those are all things we're going to have to discover in the coming wisconsin's in the coming you know uh revolutions and all that so it's, it's not about having all the answers but it's about knowing like that's what it means to act for the left to actually have an alternative um vision to put forward um yeah see that and i think that's really emblematic of where we're at thanks alex that was good it's uh you don't have a positive vision you're just like fucking morrissey gets it that's all you fucking need to know dude just listen no no listen (laughs) turn off your feelings (laughs) uh well with the like you know we're talking workplaces and that sort of sphere is that kind of like the labor movement right now in terms of unions is that uh, a similar danger to towards getting to invest in electoral politics getting too invested in the unions as they stand today um probably and I, and it's partly because most of the unions today have of um out of a sense of fear and out of out of having such large um bureaucracies that are that mm-hmm. are very scared about losing their livelihoods as, as the republicans are going to go after unions as a whole unions today are too similar to electoral politics right. you know what i mean like you get many people you get a job in a union or, or you're in a union and you soon find out that the unions 99.9 percent of the union strategy is electing a democrat in the office to hopefully make it better not mm-hmm. actually organizing in the workplace to directly fight on the point of production just because i'm not i as i say that i know that's very hard to do but i'm just saying like mm-hmm. so it's not so much that that you that the concept of class struggle to put it dramatically yeah. right is a dead end like and the proof of that is look at the unions today it's more like even the the organizations that are supposed to organize workers at their workplace are generally putting most of their time and energy into being like get out the vote machines mm-hmm. and, and donating their money to this democracy that is broken you know what i mean so rather than being like a countervailing force on that they're actually one of the main ways that we get we all get sucked in to that same um kind of broken broken democracy but that being said so it's i don't think um like in the coming year you know if if like well what's my alternative you know to just um to saying well let's just run candidates and all that kind of stuff no it's not unions or it's not I mean, I'm all for people trying to organize unions and things like that, but because at a time when when we see all these different, it's not that people don't protest or struggle, but it's like a one-off thing. There's not a lot of let's go out to the airports. Trump's trying to do a travel ban, yeah. incredible, but then the, no organizations really exist to be like let's form a national 
and we're against the travel ban thing that thousands of people can join and hold meetings in their neighbor. You know, instead it's mm -hmm. like, okay, wait for the ACLU to call the next one. Or like, that's kind <laughs> of the world we're, we're living in right now. So in that world, when most of us are not organized, trying to strike the highest stakes thing you could do risking getting fired is probably not the first thing that most people are going to do. Right. It could be though, like, um, trying to organize against deports a deportation happening in your neighborhood on a campus you know trying to fight for people who are victims of sexual assault and have to you know see their assaulters every you know there's any there's, there's so many other struggles that aren't like exactly economic but it's all about built you know like organizing with other people to fight for changes that are important which eventually then do all those people do have jobs or, or they're students who are going to work and the more activists and organizers that's creating, it eventually creates more people who are able to then organize on their job too. So those things do flow, you know, flow together. Coalition building. That that one airport strike was so sick though. Like, because uh, <laughs> normally you go to a, pro I feel like nine out of 10 protests right now are we're going to either go to a bank on Wall Street or we're going to go to Trump Tower and they're never like, a military checkpoint of how to shut a city down, which that just happened to to manifest one time. I feel like we're going to have some kind of like financial crash or something, and we're just going to camp at the airport, and everyone's going to steal stuff from Sparrow, and that's going <laughs> to be how the revolution starts, is we'll only have airports. Ever, there's going to be too many iPads, because they have vending machines of them, and that we could use those. Well, you forgot, though, we're going to be... We'll in every city will be led by our local NFL football team. Like they'll, cause right. they're the revolutionary yes. leaders now. So it'll be Cam Newton and Ginz, well, bad example, but yeah, it'll, yeah, yeah. Um, Eli Manning, I'm not city, sure. Right. you got a great football team and the best airport. <laughs> You're going to yeah. be so well stocked. Everyone else is going to be dropping in at your airport. <laughs> Cam Newton, Vladimir Lennon. What if, <laughs> what if he showed up? He just has like the page boy hat. He shaved his head. Yeah, he looks the yeah. He's like a Peaky Blinders interpretation of Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> huh? I love how they make the communists look in that show. They all look like Macklemore. It's fucking great. <laughs> uh, Peaky Blinders, come out with new episodes. It's been a year. You listening? Okay, great. That's in there. They're going to be a sponsor soon. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Peaky Blinders. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how television works. Someone hire me. <laughs> Are we ready to wrap up? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think we've covered... Uh, anybody have anything they wanted to get out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good Just shit, that. Right? <laughs> uh, Danny? Uh, no, I'm satisfied. It was great. great. Okay. Any plugs? Where can people find you on the interwebs? You know any um, good books to Yeah, recommend? so there's this amazing book um, called No Is Not Enough. But no, oh, damn, I'm, I'm reading it right now. <laughs> Shit. No. Um, yeah, no. I mean, people can check out uh, Why Bad Governments Happen to Good People. They can get it from Haymarket Books. They can get it from the big conglomerates like Amazon, you know, if that's your thing. Um, Are there and, any yeah. uh, collectives people can buy it from? Any places where it's been... Uh, well, yeah, hey, I mean, Haymark okay. is a non-profit. Um, there you go. You know, actually, they're the ones who published Naomi Klein's book, too, if you want to check that one out, too. It's really good. It's like a better version of my book. So, um, There's a worker-owned uh, monk's inhabitory that is physically writing out pages of the book. You can get. <laughs> That's actually very proto-capitalist. It's very chill. You can check out that. <laughs> uh, Eric, you got anything to plug? <laughs> uh, well, you should check out socialistworker.org. That's uh, Danny... And I are both part of the editorial team there, and uh, we're doing daily stuff there about 
trying to keep up with the nightmare that is the Trump regime uh, to the best of our ability. So if you want to check us out in terms of our writing and and more kind of daily presence, that's the place you can find us. Cool shit. All right, boys. Um, you can check us out November 18th at Star Bar. We have another uh, paid protest show coming show. up. It'll be good. We got the lineup. We're still working out the DSA part. It's going to be a hot one. I will say that. And then uh, that's it pretty much for us. Anybody else got a like big, exciting thing? I got nothing. I've, I've never been. I might get back into modeling, like building <laughs> models. Oh, oh okay. Like building small models. So if you have any recommendations for that, hit us up on Twitter. And uh, that's the show. Everyone clap.